be encouraged. Encouraged. Ecclesiastes 9. It's a pretty dark one, but we're going to get there. Have a look. Page 591. Page 591. Ecclesiastes 9, verses 1 to 18. Indeed, chapter 9, Indeed, I took all this to heart and explained it all. The righteous, the wise, and their works are in God's hands. People don't know whether to expect love or hate. Everything lies ahead of them. Everything is the same for everyone. There is one fate for the righteous and the wicked, for the good and the bad, for the clean and the unclean. For the one who sacrifices is the one who does not sacrifice. As it is for the good, so it also is for the sinner. As it is for the one who takes an oath, so also for the one who fears an oath. This is an evil. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun. There is one fate for everyone. In addition, the hearts of people are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live, after they go to the dead. There is hope for whoever is joined with all living. Since a live dog is better than a dead lion. For, for the living know that they will die, but the dead don't know anything. There is no longer a reward for them because the memory of them is forgotten. Their love, their hate and their envy have already disappeared. And there is no longer a portion for them in all that is done under the sun. Go eat your bread with pleasure and drink your wine with a cheerful heart. For God has already accepted your works. Let your clothes be white all the time and never let oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with your wife you love all the days of your fleeting life, which have been given to you under the sun, all your fleeting days. For that is your portion in life and in your struggle under the sun. Whatever your hands find to do, do with all your strength, because there is no work, planning, knowledge, nor wisdom in Sheol where you are going. Again, I saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, all the battles of the strong, all the bread to the wise, all the riches to the discerning, all favour to the skillful. Rather, time and chance happen to all of them. For certainly no one knows his time. Like fish caught in a cruel net, or like birds caught in a trap, so people are trapped in an evil time as it suddenly falls on them. I have observed that this also is wisdom under the sun, and it is significant to me. There was a small city with few men in it. A great king came against it, surrounded and built large siege works against it. Now a poor wise man was found in the city, and he delivered the city by his wisdom. Yet no one remembered that poor man. And I said, wisdom is better than strength. But the wisdom of the poor man is despised, and his words are not heeded. The calm words of the wise are heeded more than the shouts of a ruler over fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war. But one sinner can destroy much good. Uh, 591, keep that open. Um, the Ecclesiastia, I don't know if that's how you'd say it. It's in Ecclesiastes is just a Latin word um, for the koaleth, which is a Hebrew word, which just means the teacher, the philosopher. I'd say philosopher's better because really what he's doing is he's not just philosophizing as in talking about knowledge, it's about a practical 
philosophy. Um, and what he's doing each week, if you remember, is he's goading us, he's prodding us. He's saying, I've observed all of life. And you'll notice about three or four times in this passage, it said, under the sun, under the sun, and under the sun. He's looking at life, all of life, under the sun, without reference to God. He's saying, okay, let's just imagine that life is all that we observe, all that we see, all that we experience. And let's test where each road in life takes us. And remember, he's, so he's been looking at the search for pleasure or using pleasure. He's looked at wisdom. We looked at that a couple of weeks ago. He's been testing each of these roads and he's coming to the end of each road and saying, okay, what does, when you just consider life and things that happen in life, what is the outcome? And he's goading us, I say this, because like the philosopher or the teacher, the Socrates, the Socratic method was about giving questions and asking questions. And it was frustrating because then you'd, you'd ask a question of, the, of Socrates and apparently he would ask you another question. And he would just go and prod and prod and prod. This is probably written hundred years before Socrates, just out of interest. But this is God's philosopher designed to prod us and to goad us and to get us thinking. And to get us thinking, well, if life is all there really is, if it's just material stuff, what are the conclusions? What are the conclusions? So this is a great book. For those of us who are searching, or for people who think of life just as you know, materialistic. And I, th- and I suppose today, even though we may not think of life like that, we're, in, we're embedded in a world that, that kind of thinks of life like that. There's all there is is the physical, all there is is what we see, what we experience. And the teacher, the philosopher, is saying, okay, let's take that premise. Let's imagine all there is is under the sun. What's the conclusion of life? Where do we find ourselves? And this week, it is fairly bleak again, but I think the search this week is the search for simplicity. The teacher is giving us a life of, yeah, a life of simplicity. And who amongst us, with all the things that go on in life, doesn't yearn for a life that is, well, a little bit more simple. It's not very encouraging at the start. We're going to go through it, though, because this is what the text is. But hopefully it'll be more encouraging as we, as we get to the end. Have a look at verses, chapter 9, verses 1 to 6, because basically he's, he wants to goad us, to prod us, to level us. He says in chapter 9, all of us have the same fate. Look at verse Verses 2 and so on. He says, everything is the same for everyone. And then there's kind of like sentences that hang off each other, that hang off this thing, this first statement. Everything is the same for everyone. There is one fate. And then he has a bunch of sentences. For the righteous, for the wicked. For the good, for the bad. For the clean, for the unclean. For the one who sacrifices, for the one who doesn't sacrifice. For the good, for the sinner, for the one who takes an oath, for the one who fears an oath. Basically, he's saying, whichever category you put yourself in, you see? He's saying the same fate is for all. 
Death is the final destination. That's what he's talking about. And we may put ourselves in other categories today, categories for us. Uh, it might be the one who sacrifices and the one who doesn't sacrifice, the one who takes an oath. We might think in those terms that we're clean or unclean, but basically it's saying, you know, the one who is rich and the one who is poor, the one who is successful in life, who achieves things, the one who's not so successful, the one who uh, has honour and value, the one who doesn't, and, and so on. And you can imagine, where do we sit? And he's saying, doesn't matter where you sit. We all have the same end. I know it's obvious, but in life, the, the, the philosopher is saying you can get caught up in life and we can just go about our lives and we look at ourselves and we compare ourselves to others and we have other people in different categories and we can all think, yes, we're all at different levels. But he's saying, no, no, the reality, I'm bringing up the reality for you. I want you to see the reality. He has a reason for it. All end up the same. And, I mean, look at that proverb he gives about the dead dog and the lion. It's pretty confronting. He says, what does he say? It's better to have a, to be a live dog, is that what he says? It's better to be a live dog than a dead lion. Now, doggies are pretty, pretty cool. Like, I, I today, uh, I, I love dogs and, and I know other people do. In, their, in this context, thousands of years ago, Dogs aren't seen as, they're kind of dishonourable, they're dirty, they're not, you don't have them, they're not something that you keep, they're, yeah, they're, they're not very, not very good. Whereas a lion, you know, the lion is the, there's pride, there's, that, that's how they, just like maybe today, we might see as a noble and honourable animal. But he's saying it's better to be a miserable, to have a terrible existence, to be a dishonoured outcast, he's saying it's, it's better to be alive, isn't it? He's just saying all have the same fate. He's just underlining, underlining the reality of the end and it's better to be alive than to be dead. Have a look at verse 1. Because he says, the righteous and the wise, their works are in God's hands. Here he underlines this futility of life, when he looks at the reality of life, if all there is is all under the sun, and if at the end of it, all of it comes to nothing, he's saying that's just the reality, isn't it? If, if all that is is material, and if all that we are, then we experience things, at the end, in the end, it's not going to, doesn't mean anything. And this is what he's saying. The righteous are works, all of it's in God's hands. In other words, we have a lot or a situation, we have a life, and a lot of it is in God's hand. It just happens. And so he goes on to say, look at verse 1 again, he says, people don't know whether to expect love or hate. What's he saying? He's saying everything lies ahead. What happens in life? Who knows? God's hands. And then the sense of helplessness continues. Look at verses 11 to 18. In verses 1 to 6 we have this uh, about the end being death. And then verses 11 to 18 turns into this helplessness. The race is not to the swift. It should be, but nor the battle to the strong, nor the bread to the wise, riches to discerning, favour to skilful. Well, last week we looked at that, how the idea of wisdom and that the, the, the race should be to the swift. That's how it should work. But it doesn't, it doesn't work like that, does it, in life? And if you think that life's not like that, 
you haven't experienced those things yet, maybe you're, too, you're already you're young, you know, you haven't experienced how life is a crapshoot. And there's a picture there of a fish caught in a net and a bird in a trap. Have a look at verse 12. And then it goes on to talk about this wise king. Verses 13. Let me find that and read that out. It says, uh, There was a small city and a few men. A great king came, surrounded, built large siege works. And there was a poor wise man and so on. Wisdom is better. Um, and then he goes on to talk about fools and wisdom. One sinner can destroy much good. Verse 18 at the end. He's giving a picture of the fish caught in the net, the bird caught in the cage, and then this siege work stuff. It's kind of odd for us. But ancient cities, Judah and Jerusalem, are fortified to keep out invaders. And how that works is an enemy city would blockade the city and starve the population. As desperation continues, they, the, the, the army comes, they build earthen ramps and they build up towers so that the archers have better angles of fire and they can get to the city. From the inside, you're inside the city and you're basically, you're held to ransom. You, you, if you haven't got enough food and water, you're, gonna, you're trapped. The king of Assyria, Sennacherib, in the 7th century BC on the siege of Jerusalem says this, I locked them up like a bird in a cage. I surround them with earthworks. They found this on a stone, a stele. It's like a stone that says, talks about this experience. And so the imagery here of a bird in a cage, a fish in a net, is, is all throughout ancient Near Eastern literature. It's about being caught, trapped. It's your locking life. This is where he says a small city with a few men in it. He talks about this great king surrounds the city. And so the writer is saying, we all face the end. And before the reality of God's hand in our lives, we can have this feeling of helplessness. So, what do we do? How? Remember, the teacher is saying, under the sun, imagine if life is all the things that we have and all we can do, what, what, what do we do with that? This is the actual conclusion, isn't it? The reality is, it doesn't matter about rich or poor, it doesn't matter about good or bad, it doesn't matter about, because it's all going to go to dust. That's what he's saying. And, and he's saying most of us don't want to know this. We don't want to hear this. We want to ignore this. But how do we live in response to this? What would be the logical, logical way to live if death is the end and if in life we get different parts of life? The logical thing would be to make the best to, to moment by moment live as a hedonist maybe. Enjoying pleasure for pleasure's sake. Or live as an escapist. Forgetting about what's happening out in the world around us, praying to God, doing what we can. Or as a cynical person. Look at what he says 
because I missed it out in the, in the passage, but this is the good part. Look at what he says in verses 7 to 10. The answer is given in the middle of the passage about how we are living. Look at this. Go, eat your bread with pleasure, drink your wine with a cheerful heart, for God has already accepted your works. Let your clothes be white all the time, never let oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife you love all the days of your fleeting life which has been given to you under the sun. For that is your portion. Whatever your hands find to do, this conclusion, you do with all your strength. Because down in Sheol is no work paying while during this time. Um, the, the, the bit about oil, apparently, I know it doesn't sound very fashionable for you, maybe, but that's kind of the nice, put nice clothes on, have oil on your head. It's something that, that is apparently very nice. So the idea is, enjoy what you can while you can. This is what we are to do. We are to be people that enjoy God's gifts. Because what's missing here? It sounds like hedonism, doesn't it? Just kind of enjoy what you can. Enjoy, you know, enjoy wine, enjoy your wife of your life. Uh, enjoy your clothes. Uh, go eat bread with pleasure. Whatever you find your hands to do, do with all your strength. But you see, underlying this, is that God is the good giver of all gifts. Have a look at verse 9. It says there, Enjoy life, which has been given, uh, so with the wife you love all days of fleeing life. That's one big sentence. Go eat your bread, let it close the way, enjoy life. And then it says there, Which has been given to you under the sun all of your fleeting days. Elsewhere in Ecclesiastes, he'll say similar things. In Ecclesiastes 2, a person can do nothing better than eat and drink, find satisfaction. Ecclesiastes 3, there's nothing better for people to be happy and do good while they live. Ecclesiastes 5, I've observed it's appropriate to eat and drink and find satisfaction under the days given that God has given to them. The key is, the point is, life is given, there's a givenness to it. God has given us gifts. God continues to give us gifts. And so what underlies all of that life, all of the days, is the fact that it's given by God. This is why it's different to say hedonism, just loving something for the sake of loving something. It's the givenness of our life. And that's the key to a life that is good for God, a simple life. It means enjoying what we can and the lot that God has given to us. When someone gives us a gift, it's not earned, is it? Or it's not purchased. It's not deserved, it's received. The preacher or the teacher wants to reorientate us to the tastes, to taste the sweetness of ordinary things of life and the conviction that God gives us good things. What does this mean practically? The summary is, is the end is the end is death. All of us face that. We all have different lots and situations in life. But the call is to enjoy the givenness of life that is from God. What does that mean practically? It means, I think, a couple of things. I've got two things. One is I think pay attention to the moment that we're in. What I mean by that is pay attention to the life that we have, the moment that we have in life. What has God given you in life? The people that you have in your life? 
the situation you find yourself in, pay attention to that and be involved in that because that's the lot that God has given you. Enjoy as a gift from God. Even if the situation at the moment for you, you're going, I don't want to be there and it's not really, not really giving me the best. Listen to this. Uh, it's a book called The Practice of the Presence of God. Um, the name's Lawrence. And he says this, Lawrence disliked working in the kitchen. He worked in it daily for 15 years. But he learned from God's grace how to rejoice among the pots and pans and the water wrinkled hands that do little things for the love of God. Now Lawrence, he would have preferred, says he would have preferred to change jobs and do something larger and more seemingly meaningful. But he was stuck. Over time, he noticed maybe sanctification does not depend so much on changing my activities, but as it does in doing them for God rather than for ourselves. And he finds out through his day that he can find little ways where he can be united to God through his work, uh, where he can give joy to God and he can help others and encourage others. Sometimes there are things that are going on in our life we're not satisfied with and we're railing and resisting it. We may be discontent with certain things. We have ingratitude. But the writer wants to show us and to say to us, sometimes there are things that we need to just recognise this is our situation. What has God given you in your career, in your relationships, in the people that are before you, what has he actually given you today? How can you pay attention to that moment you're in and to do things for God, to recognise God's given it to you? And maybe he's given it to you for a reason. The second thing, alongside that, I think, is just to count our blessings. I need to... Literally, count our blessings. You know, not just figuratively, I count my blessings. But do you actually do that? Have you done that? As you sit down at the start of the day or at some point in the day, have you sat there and thanked God for the cover that you have? <laughs> or that you have something to eat, or that you have a warm bed? See, it's different, it's different, isn't it, from the hedonist? Remember that? Because the hedonist says, I'm just going to do it for pleasure's sake, I'm going to use that thing, I'm going to go on to the next thing, and then I'm going to be unfulfilled from that. It's different because it's recognising there's a connection with relationship, there's a God who's given you these things. Do we count our blessings that are given us to our life? There is a givenness to our life. And we sit down, some of us do, some of us say grace, or some of us do that with dinner or lunch. But the reality is it's actually all of life as a givenness to our life. The writer wants us to wake up to the reality of the faith of us all and the lot that we have in life. But he wants to encourage us to say, Use those moments that God has given you in life to work for him, to love others, to be a, a light and a gracious light to, God, to others when you can, and to count your blessings. 
We will all through our lives try to take those moment by moment attempts. We'll try to use that life without God. <laughs> this is what the hedonist is, right? Or the sinner, the cynic is. Tries to live just under the sun. But I don't know if you know, but Jesus, you notice Jesus, he always sought the Father. You notice he lived moment by moment. Depending dependence on the Father. If you consider in his boyhood days, he was in the temple. When he broke bread for a meal, whether he had he broke bread for a meal in Luke 24, or whether he had nothing to eat, he was tempted in the desert. He saw either circumstance in relation to the presence of the Father. When Jesus was alone, in Luke 5.16, he was with his friends and joyful in Luke 10.21. And when he was abandoned by them, in Luke 22, or even when his enemies mistreated him. Jesus discerned the presence of the Father in those moments. Even on the cross, Jesus saw communion with the Father, Luke 23. The point is that Jesus, he lives what the preacher in Ecclesiastes is teaching, this moment-by-moment dependence on God. And he lives that and goes all the way to the cross. He takes all of our moment-by-moment attempts at godless happiness, all those times we try to just use the world and do things without relation to God. He takes all of that on himself because he lives the life that we don't. The one that's always in dependence on the Father. Through that, what does he do? He purchases for us a life that's filled with the Father. Because we've been talking about God and his gift, the givenness of life and the gifts that he gives us. The greatest gift, of course, is that Jesus has given us a God that we don't just call God, but we can call Father. The one with whom we can bring all of life. The one with, with whom we can call him our Father who loves us and who has purchased us. And this is why in Matthew it talks so much about the Father. Jesus talks so much about the Father and says, you know, if you ask a Father for, for a good thing, which Father would give you a scorpion or something? I think it's in Matthew 5. Because we know what the preacher in Ecclesiastes didn't know. This is why it's so bleak in Ecclesiastes. Because he's talking about the end, and he's talking about his lot in life, and he's got a glimmer of hope. But we know that we live, that we eat, that we drink, that all the good gifts we have from God, we know is because he's our, he's our Father. That Christ, God himself, has come into the world and he listened to God all the time and he always lived the life of dependence on God. And him dying for us in our place means he takes on all of the sin of the world, all of our brokenness. And now we've been reconciled not just to a God who is distant and he doesn't care and is far off, but a God who is our Father who we can call on. And we can come to him and we can say, God, this is my life, this is my situation, this is my lot. Help me to honour you in that. Help me to know, to discern how, where I should go with that. And help me to know your love for me has not wavered. 
You don't agree with me because things aren't going right. You're not happy with me when things are going well. But I'm loved and valued you because of what you've done in the gospel. It's a hard word to hear each week about Ecclesiastes. We've got two more weeks <laughs> and then we're getting to something else. But the message has to be seen always. Old Testament, New Testament has to be seen in light of the gospel. In light of the fact that God, God says to us, you know, you have wandered away, you do not love me, but I've sent my son to die in your place. So stop burdening yourself with thinking you haven't lived enough, you haven't done enough for God. Because the greatest gift that I've given you is my life for you, my son for you. And you can live in relationship, in communion with the Father. And if you imagine a father, what, what, is it, what is it about a father? It's about a daily communion with him. And so this week, let's be people that every day, Take that moment by moment and say, God, what is it that you want me, how do you want me to live in this moment for you, giving you thanks? How do you want me to take the joy out of that moment? How do you want me to love those around me? And let's count our blessings every day as we live for God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the goodness that you do give in our lives. As it says in James, every good gift comes from you where there is no shadow, no turning, and you are our good King and Father. We recognise, Lord, there'll be some of us that aren't feeling that and we're not there, and there are things in our lives that you have given us for various reasons. Please show us more of you. Help us to drink deeply from your grace and help us to lay any burdens that we have at your feet. And help us to keep clinging on to you this week, um, regardless of where we find ourselves. Um, may we look to you in faith and trust that you will deliver us. For you are our
and open our hearts so that we may receive your wonderful love. Help us to be thankful. Father God, help us be gentle with others and with ourselves. Let us be to others as we wish them to be to us. 